The reading this morning is from the Old Testament and can be found in Isaiah 46 on page 728 on the Bibles in front of you. And we're reading from verse 1. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together. Unable to rescue the burden, they themselves go off into captivity. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. Even to your old age and grey hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god, and they bow down and worship it. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place, and there it stands. From that spot it cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. Remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near, it is not far away and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. All right, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, It's good to be together, isn't it, people? Yes, it is. All five of us agree. So I'm going to pray for the rest of us, and then we are going to get underway. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, you're good to us, gracious in so many ways giving us your word, and then uh, most supremely in giving us your son, to so help us to listen to the word that we might learn about your son, that we might love him more and follow him wholeheartedly. In his name we pray. Amen. I want to start with a question today, and the question is, who do you think is really in control of the world? I think it's a good question to ask, because the answer to that question probably shapes whether you're a really anxious person or whether you're kind of relaxed about life. Who is the boss, really? When I was growing up, I felt uh, that was a very easy question to answer. It was always the President of the United States. But it doesn't feel the same way anymore, does it? Uh, I'm not even trying to be funny at this point. Uh, President Trump had his inauguration ceremony just two Saturdays ago, and it seemed like nobody really wanted to go. So apparently there were... Four buses of protesters booked in for a protest rally for every one bus of supporters who wanted to go to the inauguration. 
And uh, President Trump couldn't get any A-list celebrities to come to, along to his party either. So Barack Obama got Bruce Springsteen to play at his party. Uh, Bruce Springsteen tribute band declined President Trump's invitation. Elton John said no. Celine Dion said no. Getting desperate with Celine, aren't you? Even Kiss said no. But he did manage to lock down the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. <laughs> what a win. You do wonder, though, don't you, if a large part of the rebuff from the kind of Hollywood and entertainment royalty is actually because they didn't get their way, their person, their president. So they kind of almost picked up their ball and went home. Is the president in control? Well, he couldn't get anyone to sing. Is the media and entertainment and, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, kind of Hollywood juggernaut in control? Well, they couldn't get their president. And everyone is unhappy and worried. What I thought was certain is not certain. Who is in control of this world? We're not sure anymore. But today I do want to say that God is in control. He remains sovereign over the affairs of the universe. And his sovereign rule is a powerful antidote to the anxiety and worry we feel in our world, in our lives, and in a great many other things too. Why worry when God is in control? Today I want to show you why we actually want and need God to be in control, then why he is in fact in control, what we ought to think when it doesn't appear that he's in control, and then lastly, what is the practical value of him being in control? That is where we're headed. So firstly for today, why do we need God to rule? And it might seem like a very odd question to um, start, but I think it's useful to posit that question or consider the alternatives if God isn't in control. So why do we need him to rule? Many of us, though we call ourselves Christians, basically think that God created the world. He designed certain fixed laws of nature and then withdrew, leaving the world to the outworking of these laws of nature and just sort of went into his living room with a chocolate milkshake just to watch what was going on with a bit of vague interest. Or, uh, more likely, went into his bedroom and put a do not disturb sign on the door. He created the world, but he's left its governance to these sort of impersonal laws of nature. Now let me say, friends, that is not Christianity. That is deism or deism. And it's not actually all that different to atheism in, in terms of how it works practically. And it's just as bleak. Because when a natural disaster happens in one part of the world... What guarantees are there that it will not happen in every other part of the world? If the laws of nature cannot prevent a tsunami in Asia, how can they prevent the whole world being subsumed by flood? And who are we going to cry out to in the face of such calamity if impersonal laws are all that we have and God is in his bedroom, do not disturb? Isn't it also true that many of us, even though we call ourselves Christians, think that God has given over control of the human race and is essentially hands-off there, pretty much in the same way that he has with our created or natural world. He's not governing this world of ours. He's not shaping the destiny of nations. He's not controlling the course of empires, nor limiting the rule of dynasties and their evil, saying, as he did to Satan in the book of Job, this far... You shall go no further. I mean, just imagine if every regime was enable to sink to its lowest ebb. Every corporation or industry, 
able to conduct its most cynical action in the pursuit of profit if every person, you and I included, were empowered to enact our darkest thoughts and plans? Have you ever wondered what our world would be like then? I mean, we think it's bad now. Consider what it would be like if all godly restraints were off. Worse still, some of us think that the devil is in charge of the world. And of course, it's true that he has an influence, a checked, a chained influence upon our society. But what if he weren't restrained at all? And his normal, he had this kind of unlimited access to us with his normal operating procedures of lying and accusing. What if he really were in charge, this personal force of evil, without restraint? There are two final alternatives, and I don't know which one's scarier, actually. Uh, some of us think that no one and no thing is in charge. It's just chaos out there. Or oppositely, we think, I'm in charge. I'm the only one with the power to shape my own destiny. No one's going to come to my aid. I must forge my future for myself, by myself. And in both cases, it is no surprise that we worry. Nothing is in charge, or I am the only one in charge. My goodness, no wonder we are anxious people. This uh, illustration sounds trivial. And uh, look, it's just a, a kind of contained microcosm case study. I'm not trying to belittle any of the really genuine anxiety that many of us feel. And uh, like you... I am bruised and scarred in the present tense by real travails in life. Um, we're, we're all the same, made of flesh and blood, aren't we? But for the sake of illustration, there was this one time when, um, uh, when we lived overseas. We were flying home, um, or we, we were flying home from Paris back to London where we lived after a holiday. Now, once you're over there, it's kind of cheap to get over here. And we had this lovely week in a cottage. It was a really nice time. Uh, a couple of hours out of Paris, and we were driving back to Charles de Gaulle Airport, main airport in Paris, to return home. But it was a Sunday, and the French road workers don't like working on Sundays, slash any day, but on Sundays particularly. And so they weren't working, that is. But they still had two out of the three lanes closed off in the main road to the main airport in the main city of the whole country. Long queues, big delays, and I just felt this wave of panic kind of wash over me, and I just became increasingly flustered and anxious and irritable about missing the return flight. And into the, uh, you know, all the way through the traffic jam, I was uh, sweating and swearing and frenzied, and into the airport, sweating and swearing and frenzied, like really not one of my finer moments at all. And I look back now to this little case study, microcosm. And I realized that I oscillated between these two thoughts. No one is in control, or I'm in control. No one's in control. These road workers are alluring to themselves. No one's in charge of them. And I reckon 50,000 people missed their flights that day because of them just drawing on their cigarettes. Worse, uh, I'm in control. I'm behind the wheel, man. I'm the only one with the power, but I can't do anything to help this situation. I am just stuck. We worry when we think that no one's in control or alternatively that we're the only ones in control. And you know what? We did miss our flights and still sweating and swearing and frenzied. When we got to the counter at the airport, they just put us on the next flight from Paris to London. It seems, after all, that British Airways had some experience in moving people from Paris to London and I wouldn't have to spend the rest of my life in Charles de Gaulle Airport. 
So I needn't have worried. You know, our worries betray us, don't they? And they show us what we really think, who's really in charge. The laws of nature, or blind fate, I guess. Human powers, or the devil, or nothing at all, or nothing but us are in charge. And I would say that if any of those are true, we are doomed. And despair is actually the logical response. If you think about it, we actually want God to be in control. Even if we don't believe he is. That's something that we actually want But secondly, for today, we see that God is, in fact, in control. There's no do not disturb sign out front. He's not hands off. He is in control just as we need him to be. And we see this in every chapter of Scripture. Uh, Right from page one, let there be light. And there was light. Let the land produce vegetation. And it was so. The land produced vegetation. Just as God controlled the elements in creation, he controlled them in that great act of anti-creation, the flood in Noah's days. You remember these words? God said to Noah, seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And the flood happened just so. For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth and the waters increased and they lifted Noah's ark above the earth. 40 days and 40 nights. Who'd have thought just as it said? Saw it last uh, year in the book of Exodus, didn't we? In which light was turned to darkness, a river was turned to blood, where frogs and gnats and boils infested the land, where hail rained down upon Egypt, except in this one part of the land called Goshen, where the Israelites were, as if to just make the point that it's not coincidental. And of course, you remember that time in the boat, don't you, on the lake when Jesus was just so exhausted that he slept as a calamitous storm whipped up all around him, so calamitous that his disciples said to him, don't you care if we drown? And then Jesus roused on the squall, be still, and the wind died down, it was completely calm. So you say laws of nature, and I say, fair enough. I'm just saying behind the laws of nature, there's a law giver. And there is a law administrator. And that things are not out of his control. And they're not out of his interest. So God governs the created world where earth and wind and fire and water do his bidding rather than thwart his almighty purpose. And uh, one writer even wrote these words, Therefore, when we complain about the weather, we are in reality murmuring against God. I don't know what you think about that. I think she lived in England, which does explain just a little bit of it, doesn't it? Of course, God doesn't just govern the inanimate creation kind of world. He also rules over what have been described as irrational creatures, not meaning teenagers, or your spouse in the moment of battle, or your boss, but just animals and beasts of the field and birds of the air and fish of the sea, and also over that most important of all creatures, the human being, the one made in the image of God. And my goodness, you might balk or flinch at even the saying of that sentence that God governs people. But the truth is, there's kind of just a simple alternative, isn't there? Either God governs or he's governed by us. Either he rules or he's ruled by us. Ultimately, God has his way, people have theirs. Is God fundamentally in control or have we found in ourselves a creature so unruly 
that we lie beyond his control. Think about this. In Genesis, the citizens of Babel erect a tower to make a name for themselves, but God frustrates their plans, scatters them, and confuses their language. Also in Genesis, the brothers of Joseph engineer a plan to dispose of him, but God preserves his life in Egypt so that through his life he might preserve many other lives. You know, in the book of Esther, there is a crafty um, villain called Haman. He constructed gallows on which he hoped to hang faithful Mordecai. But as it turns out, Haman was hanged upon those gallows himself. And you know, you should read the book of Esther. In the whole book, it doesn't even mention the name of God once because it doesn't need to. The whole story itself illustrates that God is in control of the affairs of human beings. Of governments and empires... Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together. But the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king. Thank you. And if human beings in general, Proverbs 16 says, Yeah, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but... The Lord establishes their steps. And as we just read in Isaiah chapter 46, have a look at it please. Verse 9, where God says to all, I am God. There's no other, not these ridiculous idols you're carrying about. I am God, there's none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do what I please. It is true that man has a will, but so does God. It is true that humanity is endowed with power, but God is all-powerful. And we might object, "Ah, I have free will. It is sovereign above all. It is subject to no one. I would say, come on. We have a will. We have a will, but it is a servant. We have a will, it is a servant, it is not sovereign. There you go, there you go. (laughs) It is a servant, it's not a sovereign. It's servant to the lust of our eyes, in which we're never content with what we have, we always want more. It's a servant to the boasting of our heart, the pride of our heart, which never likes to be dented, never wants to admit that we're either wrong or weak. Uh, It is not just a servant to the influence of sin within us, but also the pull of the world outside us, or even the promptings of the devil. Uh, Apart from sin, our our will is just subject to the, the neutral, natural preferences we're born with. Do you prefer chocolate or vanilla? As well as the sum of our life's experiences and exposures that shape us and sway us, and in the life of the believer, also it's subject to the work of the Holy Spirit within us and the grace of God which powerfully works within us. So friends, we do have a will. We have genuine choice. We have human responsibility, but our will is not sovereign. It is a servant, perhaps a servant to many things and certainly a servant to the almighty God. And I'm not saying that's in a completely mechanized way which violates our ability to make genuine choices for which we are held accountable. But I am saying that only one of us has a sovereign will and is not us, but it is God above. And I am suggesting to you today that far from that being the worst thing imaginable, 
it is one of the best things that could be true, that God does indeed rule. And to borrow a wonderful line I read, no revolving of a world, no shining of a star, no storm, no movement of a creature, no actions of humanity, no errand of angels, nor deeds of the devil, nothing in all the vast universe can come to pass otherwise than God has purposed. And so when we say that God is sovereign or God is in control, all we are saying is that God is God, that he is king, that he is doing according to his will in heaven and on earth so that none can outwit him or thwart his purposes or resist his will. He's sovereign in the exercise of his power and his mercy. Now for times, and even perhaps long times, that power and mercy might appear to lie dormant, but that it bursts forth with irresistible might, reminding us that it was always there in operation, so that we can neither say, oh, he's lost control, nor he's lost interest in us or in our plight. Friends, God is in fact in control. Now, all of that sounds terrific, and then I wrote it, and uh, I finished for the day, and I sat down to watch the tennis in Melbourne, and then I learnt that just a few blocks away, a madman had driven a stolen car along the busiest footpath in town, mowing down dozens of people, killing five, including two children. And I didn't believe what I'd just written. Now, what are we to think when it does not appear that God is in control over nature or over the affairs of the world or the spread of terror and especially the details of our lives? What do I think then? Friends, let me say I am really wary of religious, trite kind of phrases and pat answers, but there are a few things that need to be said when it doesn't look like God is in control. We might actually be suffering because of our own waywardness and disobedience or the waywardness or disobedience of others that we're caught up in. Uh, Sometimes God lets the consequences of our rebellion play itself out rather than whisking us away from it. If I yell at my boss, I lose my job. If my house is provided by my employer, my family becomes homeless. This is why you shouldn't yell at your boss. Does God promise to forgive my sin? Of course he does. Does he promise that he'll helicopter me out of the consequences of my folly? No. Might further be suffering because our world is is just in turmoil, isn't it? It's not as it ought to be. Natural disasters, uh, chronic illnesses are like that. You, You can't trace them to individual sin. They are just an awful, a truly awful part of living in a world that is not as it should be. And that points to a future world that is different and that is better. But for a large percentage of those times when it does not appear that God is in control, when it really does appear that that do not disturb sign is on the door, we actually just don't know what's going on. We are not given insight into that matter. Maybe there are bigger things going on in the spiritual realms that we are not aware of. Maybe... If we were given insight, we just wouldn't be able to process it. And perhaps it's better to be honest and just say, we don't know why in many cases. But the thing that we cannot say is that God doesn't care, that he's in his bedroom, that he's lost control, and that he's lost interest. 
I want you to just imagine a time when you think of the most innocent suffering. I mean really innocent. A time when it appeared that the very forces of evil, deceit and murder conspired against the one who brought unprecedented light and life into this world. When no less than the author of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, was killed. Did that not appear as the time when God had really lost control? When the evil of men triumphed over the very source of goodness? When Satan prevailed over the forces of heaven? Did that not appear that time? Looking back in Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter says to the very people who killed Jesus these words. This man, Jesus he's talking about, is handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him on the cross, but God raised him from the dead. Situation is never out of control. Even when his own magnificent son was crucified, when the author of life was killed, it was according to God's set purpose, knowing that it would provide salvation to billions of people, including us, and knowing that he would, of course, raise Jesus from the dead. And so the question, although it's a natural and obvious question, it ought not be, why did God let this happen? The better question is, what's he going to do about it? And the first answer is what he's already done about it in conquering sin and death and the devil, the great sources of chaos and evil, through his son's death and resurrection. And he will walk with us all the days of our lives with the wisdom of his word and in the person of his Holy Spirit. And he will eventually bring every deed unto judgment, whether good or evil, and destroy the sources of pain forever. And even now, he will work all things for our good. That actually means we can trust him through all the ups and downs of life. That everything we endure, all suffering, all things, all situations, work for our good to make us or to conform us to the likeness of his son. That's the great promise in Romans 8, 28 and 29. So friends, when things look lost, we not only know that they're not lost, we know that through this particular situation, God is doing a work for our good to make us more like Jesus. So there is not meaningless suffering. There is purpose in it all for the one who loves God and trusts his son. If you were to open Romans 8 and look at those words, Romans 8 verse 28 and 29, he says, and we know in all things God works. And we know. I mean, funny few words, and we know. It's as if he's just reminding his first readers of what was common knowledge, what was an agreed set of facts, and we know. Do you know it? That in all things God works for the good of those who love him? that we might be conformed to the likeness and image of his son? Did you know that? Friends, this year, some of us in this room will experience and endure dreadful things. Some of us already have this year. And whenever that happens, I do want to say to you, God has not lost control and he has not lost interest in you. 
And so uh, as we get close to finishing, the practical value of God being in control is that I can worry less. I have a, a deepened trust in his divine character and a heightened sense of security because nothing can overthrow the one in whom I've placed my trust, the one who also happens to love me and works everything for me. And I have comfort in my sorrow and I have a resting place for my spirit and I have a guarantee of the final triumph of good over evil. I have a place where I can cast my anxiety and worry because I can't pray to the impersonal laws of nature. And President Trump and the political media and entertainment establishment that hate him Give me no solace, and I can't appeal to Satan, and I've got no credible grounds for trusting in my own abilities to get me through the ups and downs of life. Have you? It helps to have money, but I can't look to fortune to protect me from worry because it can be wiped out by cold market fluctuations. And it is good to have a home, but I cannot see in a property a cure for anxiety, it can be washed away by the sea, quite literally when you live where we live. Though it's good to be healthy, I cannot hope that my body will bring me lasting peace. It's already falling into disrepair. Though it is good to have a sharp intellect, already things are slipping my mind. Whilst it is wonderful to have friends to confide in, they are just as mortal and as anxious as me. And if I look to any of these good things, and they're good things and seek to make them ultimate deliverers from worry or things that I try to secure my control with, I make them into the very idols that Isaiah rubbished in our reading today. And even worse than that, I miss out on my God who makes the end known from the beginning, who holds my future in his hands, whose purposes cannot be thwarted, and who has purposed to work all the ups and downs in my life for my benefit, as well as his glory, that I might become more like his son. Now, friends, we have seen in this series that God gives us peace, that he is for us, not against us, that he is a father, our father who provides for us, and he is our sovereign who is in control. He is no small thing. He is the big answer to our anxiety. He's the reason why we ought not worry when God is in control. Now, guys, I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to give us uh, a minute or so of quiet reflection, contemplation. Uh, you might like to use this time just to sit and think quietly. You might like to use this time to bring before God that real anxiety on your heart, whether it's finance, whether it's relationships, whether it's family, whether it's health, and bring it before him in quiet prayer. You might like to repent of previous anxieties or prayerlessness, uh, as I think I will. So a moment or so of quiet, and then we'll finish by singing a great song together.
Let me finish up in a word of prayer. Thank you, God, for being in control and help us not to worry. Amen.